Thank you for being with us today and see the numbers have increased out there a little bit this week. It's so good to have some in the congregation and uh, to be able to, to preach uh, not to the cyber view, uh, folks out there alone, uh, but we welcome you and thank you for joining us in our service. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for uh, the opportunity that we have the privilege that we have to worship you, uh, to come and freely express our praise to you, that rightfully belong that which rightfully belongs to you, and uh, and the thanksgiving, Lord, for your many mercies to us and the grace that has been found in Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us with might by your Spirit through these days in the inner person, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, and that we may be rooted and grounded in the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the fullness, Lord, that comes from the completion of who we are in Christ Jesus and the righteousness that has been given to us through his work on the cross of Calvary. And Lord, we come to you as empty vessels in need of your grace and mercies this morning. We ask that you would be pleased to grant to us your spirit to impress your word into our hearts. We pray that you would break up the fallow ground and feed us with that which is needed. May our ears hear, our eyes see, and our understanding be given to those things which your word and the authority of of your spoken word and given word to us Uh, would take root uh, into our hearts and lives, that it might be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path as we walk before you. We pray and lift these things to you in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you for being here. We're in Romans chapter 3 at the very end of it. Uh, We have the last uh, five verses there this morning. So we want to look at uh, some of these uh, principles that we've been uh, building, that the Apostle Paul builds from chapters 1, 2, and 3, and speak to you this morning about the inner law of faith, uh, because the Scripture tells us, and we've uh, found in the verses that we've studied previously, that justification is by faith in the work that Jesus Christ did for us, Uh, on the cross of Calvary to pay for our sin and to bring us into a redeemed relationship uh, with our Heavenly Father. So I want to begin by reading from uh, verse 19 of chapter 3 just to to bring the the themes of uh, these chapters that we've been studying. Uh, They're summarized here, chapters 1 and 2, in verses 19 and 20, and uh, the proclamation of the righteousness of God, uh, the power of salvation that has been worked uh, through God's plan and purposes on the cross of Calvary by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, in 21 uh, through 26, as we looked at last week, uh, we have justification that comes by faith. And so we want to pick up with this principle, this theme in Paul's teaching here that the justified must live by faith and not by the works of the law, not by the works of man. Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, No flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, 
whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. And now in verse 27, we'll pick up with the verses that we'll look at this morning. Where then is boasting? It is excluded by what law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is the God is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since then, indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one, do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. And let's look at this inner law of faith. Uh, And the reason I put the title inner law of faith is because God, through Jesus Christ, was set in his purposes to transform the inner person of us. uh, to, uh, To impute to us, through the work of Jesus Christ, the righteousness that was necessary and needful for us to, uh, in the inner person, uh, be like God himself, as, as his creatures created in the image of God. So we want to consider this morning, what have we learned about faith and God's law from these verses, from this passage of Scripture? And as we look at the first verse there in 27, where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul addressing again the Jewish mindset here, but also the Gentiles, but in their, their interest in uh, the plan and purpose of God and the revelation that was given in the Old Testament and the law and the purpose of the law. And we discovered there in verses 19 and 20, and the Apostle Paul declares that the purpose of the law was not to transform the inner person, was not to change the inner man, but the purpose of the law was given that uh, because by works should no, could no flesh be justified, for through the law becomes uh, the, the knowledge of sin. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. So what was the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law wasn't to transform the person internally and to make us new people and to cause us to be born again. It took the gospel to do that. The purpose of the law was to testify to what God was doing. And so in these verses we find in verse 21 there that by the law it was witnessed what God manifested in Christ Jesus, the salvation that Jesus Christ demonstrated the godliness in which he walked, the service in which he administered was a demonstration of God's righteousness. And the law and the prophets proclaimed these things. The prophets prophesied the coming of Messiah and told what he would be like and demonstrated what the righteousness of God would prove to be. And so we learn about the law and the purpose of the law that the purpose of the law is not to correct our lives because what we found in the Old Testament was that the Jewish people couldn't correct themselves because it had to come from the inner person. And so Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. There must be a change in our heart. The desires of our heart, the desires of our fleshly nature had to be transformed. In fact, they couldn't be transformed, so God gave us His Spirit. He caused us to be born again. He made us new people in Christ Jesus. And the Scripture says, therefore, if one is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. 
And the person that's been born again is given a new set of desires. A new, there's a new living spiritual person because the Scripture says that because of this sin that Paul has described in chapters 1, 2, and 3, that we are spiritually dead and that there was no hope for us, but the depravity was total, that our fleshly nature couldn't be renovated, it could not be reformed, but it must be transformed by new life, by that new creature that is in Jesus Christ. So I would say up front, it is essential for us to understand that faith is believing that what God said has been done in Christ Jesus is true. It's taking Him at His word. And Jesus said, He that beholds the Son and believes in Him has, present tense, eternal life. And that simply means that you trust what I did on the cross of Calvary when I died there in your place and God made He who knew no sin to become sin for us. For you personally, God did these things. And therefore, it is by faith that we come to this relationship with God our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ and through His work on the cross of Calvary. Something that we could not do for ourselves. In fact, the only thing that we could do is die and be separated from a holy God for all eternity apart from what Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary. And salvation is by faith in the provision that God has made for you and for me. Faith in Christ means that you have to know Him, right? And I pray that you know the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you do not, that you would be introduced to Him this morning. Uh, because He's seated at the right hand of the Father in a physical body that was resurrected from the grave. And He sent, upon His arrival there, He sent 50 days later at Pentecost the Holy Spirit under the new covenant to indwell His people. And so the Word becomes Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's what we celebrate today. That's why we're here to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, to look into His Word, and to consider these truths and things that God has spoken. So look at verse 27. Where then is boasting and is excluded? By what kind of law of works? No, but by the law of faith. By the law of faith. So justification by faith excludes the false security of human accomplishment. It excludes the false security of human accomplishment. Not by works. And notice in our, our little chart here, there's sinful man on this side, there's a holy God over here in heaven, and there's a bridge. And that bridge is our sin. That bridge is that lack of holiness that God uh, demands and requires. And we, what we have that falls into the chasm apart from God are good works, religion, morality, uh, different uh, uh, simple uh, things that man can do in the strength or the energy of his own flesh. And the Scripture says that all have sinned and no one can reach the other side apart from the work that Christ has done. So justification by faith excludes the first major point that's in your notes there. It excludes the false security of human accomplishments. <clears throat> and by that we mean that any glorification of self is, uh, is worthless. Any glorification of self is worthless. Uh, so we, we find that um, from the Humanist Manifesto, the Humanist Manifesto was uh, written in the, the uh, 1970s, I believe, the, uh, at least Humanist Manifesto number two, uh, and the expression of the secular humanist is that no deity will save us, we must save ourselves. Well, that's human works. That is dependence upon and the glorification of mankind. It's the deification of mankind that is being expressed in the Humanist Manifesto. And I bring this up because it is the ultimate expression of man's rebellion against God. 
No deity will save us. We reject the fact that God, um, uh, for since the creation of the world, his eternal, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen and understood uh, through what has been made, so they're without excuse. The scripture says that for the secular humanists, for mankind and his rebellion against God the Father, that, uh, that they are under condemnation because uh, that law or principle of general revelation within them, uh, which causes the glorification of self or the seeking of another Savior rather than God himself, is a broken attempt by a sinful and fallen man to achieve what only God could achieve for him. And so we find that, that these ideas of, of secular humanism and the ideology is promoted. It's promoted even into the Christian church. And so we find with, in the areas of psychology and in certain areas, there's uh, secular psychology and self-promotion the teaching that we're to love ourselves. What does the scripture teach by, by uh, contrast to that? That we're to put self to death. You know, because, because self is, is uh, depraved and apart from God. And our, flesh, our fleshly nature can't arrive to God. He can't uh, to match the standard of God's holiness. We've, we've proven uh, our failure through the millennia now, in, in human history, in recorded human history, we find that mankind has failed time and again in the self-promotion of his own salvation, of his own deliverance, of any type of holiness or justice or righteousness on planet Earth. We need God. We need for God to do something. And so he did. But we find self-promotion, the exaltation of self, uh, the greatest aim becomes in the, the secular humanist, uh, the aim for your happiness and the pursuit of what the Scripture des- describes as those things which are temporal or are passing away. But that which is eternal, the unseen things are declared in the Scripture about eternal life, about eternity with God, about the, the, the dealing, dealing that God did with our sin. God has, in His mercies, worked great and wonderful things. And the question is not, does this make you feel good in a fallen world? The question is, for the believer, are you putting yourself to death by justification by faith in what Christ did for us? We're putting self and and self-promotion and self-love to death sacrificing and offering up ourselves that the glory of God may be manifested in us. And so we find that it is not boasting in the works of the law and the things that we may do. Where then is boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law of works? No, but by a law of faith. We will not be able to work the works that are necessary uh, to save us And therefore Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. We must trust in His work on the cross of Calvary to deal with our problem and our issue of sin because the issue with the problem of evil is not with God but with man himself and with those decisions that were made contrary and autonomous from our Creator Second point we would make here is that glorying in the works of the law is, of course, not the way in which we can come to God. Uh, Romans 3.20 says, For uh, no one will be justified in his sight through the works of the law. Uh, We can't do it through uh, the Scripture. And here Paul is speaking to the Jewish mindset, is he not? So the greatest goal is not human achievement. We find things like the, the Titanic and things in human history and, the, and the, the glory of man created in the image of God, the, the glory that man can do uh, and the things that man has accomplished is all futile in regard to eternal life and to the promotion of those things 
which we were created for. So biblical faith is dependence upon God. God's dependence, God dependence only begins where self-dependence ends. Do you get that point? Uh, the attempts that we all make, even believers make, is that we constantly go back to, I can do this. I, through my own wisdom or the strength uh, of my own ability, I can do these things. But when we learn that process that is, is taught to us, the spiritual process in Scripture, that when we die to self, the manifestation of Christ, of His Spirit, and of His life is manifested within us. It's the biblical principle that the justified live by faith. The just excludes any false security of human accomplishment. Number three, faith in man's merit. It's not in works, no, but in man's merit. In the merit of man. Salvation is not by works so that no man may take glory in himself. Notice there that first verse, where then is boasting? Where is man's glory? And that word is, uh, it involves the, the uh, glorification, the idea of, of glory. Um, so glory belongs to God. Uh, we are to glorify God. The scripture tells us that we're to let our light so shine that men may see our works and glorify God our Father in heaven. Faith in man's merit is bogus. It leads to nowhere. Uh, faith in your, your strength, pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, the idea of independence or autonomy from God is all false. The idea for the believer that thinks that, uh, that even moves to the point where he believes, oh, well, Christianity is kind of a crutch for me. It's way more than crutch. It is the very life that must flow through you, must come from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, uh, then you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. To Any attainment uh, to righteousness must be by faith in these things that the Lord Jesus has come to indwell us in his spirit, the spirit of God that he sent at the day of Pentecost has come to not be with us, but to be in us. And, to, uh, and, and so the church body is, is mentioned as being the body of Christ, for He is the, the head of the body. And through the Spirit of God, you uh, are purposed in God's plan and purposes to fulfill the works of God by the Spirit of Jesus Christ working within you. It's glorious, and it's far more than a crutch. It is the very life, the very spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the glory of God that was meant to be in the people that he created. He designed us to be that we were created in his image and for uh, in the image and in the likeness of God. And that has been restored by new birth in Jesus Christ, by knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and seeing the glory of of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, point four on this verse. Faith plus works. It excludes, justification by faith excludes faith plus works. So let's make the point here and, and make it very clear. I'd ask you the question. If you're going to get to heaven, if you're going to make it into God's presence, how much work must Christ do for you and how much work do you have to do in order to get there? According to the Scripture, according to what we're learning from this passage. Have you learned that it's not about self, but it's about death to self, that the life of God may be manifested in us? And the answer to that question is 100% Christ and 0% me. 0% boasting in man's glory. 0% fulfillment on man's part uh, through the law to obtain justification before God. It can't be done. 
It required Christ's death on the cross for the penalty of your sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That gift was 100% His work. You couldn't pay for that in regard to justification. Any percentage point for your salvation. Not anything that you could do for what Christ did on the cross of Calvary. It required death. In His blood sacrifice, the Scripture tells us that Christ, uh, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and being justified uh, freely uh, through His grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, uh, for all have sinned and being justified as a gift through His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God publicly displayed as a propitiation in His blood through faith. So what does that mean? It means that the blood of Jesus Christ was shed. A, A substitutionary atonement was made for you. For the wages of your sin was death, and there's no way that you could be justified to God because of the sin problem that you have and that all mankind has, it was necessary for Jesus Christ to pay the full penalty for that in order that you might know God and be brought into a relationship with God and be made holy by the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. So the scripture says that God took Christ. He took your sin and imputed it and put it on Christ. And He took Christ's righteousness and imputed it to you as a free gift. It's given, it's there by faith. And to believe God's Word and what God has said He has done is the, the entrance by faith into salvation. I hope that makes the Gospel clear to you. Because you should be able to articulate this to those that you love. You should be able to explain the necessary substitutionary atonement that Jesus Christ made, the propitiation, the requirement for all of this that Paul was speaking about when he said that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there was no percentage point that you could do in good works to match up to the bad works or the sin that was in our lives to, to, uh, to justify us before God. It required the blood sacrifice. And so in the Old Testament, it was passed over. God passed over those animal sacrifices were a demonstration of what God intended to do in the substitutionary atonement that would take place through Jesus Christ. This is the essence of the gospel. And Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And that message should be uh, so burning in our hearts that we desire to speak of it and brag upon and boast upon not our own works, but upon what God has done for us freely. For it was through, we're justified as a gift, as a free gift through, uh, through faith, uh, through grace, through faith in the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He bought us back. He purchased you back to the Heavenly Father. And we worship the Heavenly Father this morning and He sees us as justified, as innocent from the guilt of our sin. So again, I would say to any of those of you that have great guilt weighing upon your shoulders, know that God, through Jesus Christ, freely justly paid for that sin that you have committed and that God has looked upon you and said, all who come, all who will believe, all who place their faith in what I have done through Christ Jesus are justified or guiltless for the sin that they've committed. That's the glory. And so if you don't know and haven't embraced and haven't come to understand the extent to which God loved you and He expressed His love for you in the work that God Himself did on the cross of Calvary when Jesus Christ came and bore our sins there. And that whatever sin you may be thinking of or 
or offense to God that has happened in your past, the scripture tells us that the darkest and most horrible sin was paid for by the, the Lamb of God who took away. He took away our sin. The scripture says, He has not dealt with us after our sin or rewarded us according to our iniquity. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His mercy over those who fear Him. For as far as the east is from the west, so far as He separated our transgressions from us, the Lamb of God took away our sin forever. Forever and ever. And we stand justified by God and it's the ground for spiritual growth. The just live by faith. We live by that. And what happens is God works through us in this process. And so Jesus said, take up the cross and follow me. Put yourself to death. I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a sacrifice, a ransom for others. And that's how we live. The, the, the living of this life is meant to be in self-sacrifice. The scripture says, and the apostle Paul declares in, in 2 Corinthians, he says, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Isn't that awesome? Always carrying in our body, your trials, the, the difficult things in life, the things that press you, the, the trials, the, the hardship, the affliction that we feel here on earth. The Apostle Paul says that we're caring about in this body, in the fellowship of the suffering with Jesus Christ in a fallen and rebellious world against God, that we carry this dying so that the life of Jesus is manifested in us. Don't you want the life of Jesus to be manifested in you this day? It happens because the foundation of it, the basic principle of it, is because God has justified us by His grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. There's no other way. But God is doing this miraculous thing. He wants to make you a miracle every day. That eternal life that has been given to you in Jesus Christ as we assimilate it and in this body of sin and death as it is presented to God as a, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. It's our reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Man, that is manifesting Jesus Christ. It's what, it's what we're meant to be. God has called you to these things. He's justified you by faith in Jesus that He might sanctify you in Jesus and miraculously work in your life the things that are necessary to give glory to God. He'll do that by grace through faith. In the same way that He justified you, He will purify our lives. It is not faith plus work. It excludes faith plus works. It is faith plus God's grace and God's grace alone in Jesus Christ. Both in justification and in the sanctification. And later we'll get into greater principles of sanctification as we move through these things. The point that Paul is making is that the Jewish people could not be justified by keeping the law. And the Gentile people that had general law about God and general knowledge of God could not be moral and, be, and reach the standard of God's holiness for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're justified by grace through faith. Scripture says, for uh, apart from the law, uh, no man is justified uh, by faith apart from the works of the law. Uh, and so... Uh, this wonderful principle and truth is 100% Christ, God's gift to you. Uh, and by faith you receive it. You simply believe in the integrity of what Jesus has spoken. And so the second point that we want to make this morning is that justification by faith includes the Lord as God over all men. Back to the right relationship. Back to that we were created in the image of God in the likeness and in the image of God. 
and that the, the right relationship is that he in the role of God is, is master and Lord and we are subservient and in submission and acknowledgement that he is our God. And I realize that even in saying this, this statement about uh, subservience and submission to God, that the hair raises up on the back of the neck of the rebellious man. That's the old sin nature. That's exactly what we're speaking about. There's something within us and within our flesh that says, no, I'm, uh, I'm, my, I'm the Lord of my own, I'm the captain of my own soul, the, the master of my own destiny. And, and we desire to, to control our life. And we desire by the, the strength in our own abilities to, to rule. But God says that, that He must be given a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. And humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due time He will exalt you. Uh, the submission to His will was demonstrated by the Lord Jesus uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane as He was going to the cross of Calvary. Uh, Father, remove this cup from me if it would be Your will. Nevertheless, not my will but Thine be done. That's death to self. That's the principle that we're speaking of here. And it is dying to, to self where the life of God is made clear. Is God the God for the Jews only? Is He not also for the Gentiles? Yes, for the Gentiles also. Verse 29 says, uh, Is God the God of the Jews? No, He's the God of the Gentiles. Yes, of the Gentiles also. Justification by faith includes the Lord God as God over all men. And those who are under the law, that's the Jews, the justification by faith, the author, is, is, was to the Jews. And, to, and Scripture says in, in chapter 1 and verse 16, uh, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first. Jesus Christ came as a Jew. And so the law and the things that were given there um, were, were not essential for the Gentiles, uh, but, but they were, were given as God's grace and mercy through the Jewish nation in accordance with His plan and purposes for the redemption of mankind. Those who are under the law, the Jewish people, and then those who have no knowledge of the law, the Gentile people. Some of them had never heard anything of the law. Uh, and wrong is wrong, even if everyone is doing it, and right is right, even if no one is doing it. And there's a general principle within us that says uh, that, uh, that our Creator... <laughs> His divine attributes and eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen. There's a God consciousness. There's a moral law and a right and a wrong that all mankind sees and understands. Those that didn't have the revelation of the law of Moses and, and a clearer declaration of God's will and purposes were still under condemnation for all have sinned and fallen short of their knowledge of God. And the Scripture says that they did not... Uh, knowing God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to God, but became futile in their, their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And, um, and so uh, this was the, 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 the state of mankind apart from God. I just um, had uh, this one quote from uh, Ravi Zacharias. We, uh, our, our brother has gone to be in glory. And think of it, he's in indescribable glory uh, at this time. And what a, a voice uh, for Christianity. What an apologist he was. And he passed this past week. But he had this to say. It's a little bit uh, uh, philosophical, uh, but I, I hope that you'll follow along here. When you say there's too much evil in this world, you assume there's good. When you assume there's good you assume there's such a thing as moral law on the basis of which to differentiate between good and evil. But if you assume a moral law, you must posit a moral lawgiver. In other words, there's a standard that is absolute. Uh, there's a, a standard that's, that's not, um, not in flux. It's not according to each person's opinion. Truth is not with a little T 
Truth is in accordance with what the moral lawgiver has given to us. But that, that's who you're trying to disprove and not prove because if there's no moral lawgiver, there's no moral law. And if there's no moral law, there's no good. And if there's no good, then there's no evil. What's your question? So uh, this, this is the, the conundrum. This is, the, this is the, the paradox that the unbeliever is found in. Uh, the description and scripture of where evil comes from, of man's rebellion from his creator, of angelic rebellion from their creator, is uh, the, the description and what is, is defined to us in scripture as the problem. The problem of evil. So the question comes, what about the problem of evil? Well, the problem of evil is, is us. Because we've been in rebellion against our very creator. And that moral lawgiver uh, assumes that there's a standard, a holiness. And all have sinned and fallen short of that standard according to the scripture. So there's an absolute standard by which we're given. Point three um, and this, this uh, point is, um, since the, the circumcised by faith, um, so we find justification by faith includes the Lord as God over all men, um, and uh, not only is it to the Jew and to the Greek, but also to those who are circumcised by faith. Uh, and so Romans 3, verse 30 says, Since indeed God will justify, uh, uh, indeed God who, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. It's still carrying this theme through, notice, into chapter 3. There's the Jews, there's the Gentiles. The circumcised are justified by faith, and the uncircumcised are justified through faith. So we ask the question, well, what's the difference by, by faith and what's the difference through faith? And I can tell you that I don't know. Uh, they're the same thing. Uh, it seems to be, uh, and, and if I, I would think that if there's anything, any difference, uh, that it would be that by faith relates to, to the law and the things that were given and by faith, uh, through that special revelation that was given and, and through the promises and, and the, the prophetic promises and the, the teaching of the law uh, and the uncircumcised through faith in Jesus Christ without the revelation of those principles and those truths. But basically it's saying the same thing, that, that a, a person is justified before God 100% through faith in God. So what is faith? And how do we define uh, what it means? Um, and I, I have a, a series of, of quotes for you here. Um, but uh, let's move on here. Those sanctified, those uncircumcised through faith as well. Uh, so so let's, let's take a moment to just think about what faith is. Uh, you can go back to that sl previous slide, Lori, because we're not there yet. Um, and uh, J.B. Stoney had this to say, real faith is always increased by opposition while false confidence is damaged and discouraged by it. So there's real faith and there's, there's false confidence. False, uh, faith is made up of, of three facets. Uh, there's knowledge. Uh, we have to know uh, and have knowledge of what God's word is. And so he, he revealed his word to us. He revealed Jesus Christ to us. So it's knowledge and uh, acceptance or assent. The word might be assent, uh, accepting what knowledge we have, uh, and then dependence upon that. So the three facets are knowledge, assent or acknowledgement, that this is God's word, and the third thing is dependence upon what God has said. And this makes sense, you see, because uh, our faith is, is meant to be upon the, the Lord God himself. Our faith uh, is, is uh, established upon an object, upon the person. Uh, and, and think of it in these terms. Um, if you trust someone that tells you they're going to do something, you're expressing trust in the, the character of that person to be able 
not only to tell you what they're going to do, but to be willing, both willing and able to do it. Okay? So the question becomes, is Jesus Christ, and was his word to us when he says, he that beholds the Son and he belie- that believes in him has eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Is Jesus able to do something like that? And is he willing to do something like that? That's the big question. And that's what faith is. Faith is saying that Jesus Christ has the integrity to keep his word. He has the power to keep his word. And he's willing to do exactly what he said he would do. And I trust him. So you see, you can't really trust someone that you don't know. So you need to be introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is seated in heaven in heavenly places in a physical body now, resurrected from the grave, is a real person, and his spirit is here. And you're able to speak with him in an invisible world, in a visible way. You can speak with him and have a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith in his word, what he said, what he declared. A second point here uh, this is this is another point uh, apart from uh, number three, uh, our justification by faith there, Lori. Uh, your faith will depend upon the certainty you have in the integrity of the Lord who has spoken his word to you. That's the point. Your faith depends upon the certainty that you have in the integrity of the Lord Jesus who has spoken his word to you. Do you have faith or do you have false confidence? Faith is, is knowing the Lord Jesus. This is eternal life, to know thee the one true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. If we know the Lord Jesus Christ, we know he's good to his word. We know that when he said uh, the wages of our sin is death, that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, that he meant business. And that he's able to do what he said he would do. And we put our trust in him. Our dependence is upon him. The scripture says that, or, or uh, another quote here, trials, obstacles, difficulties, and sometimes defeats are the food of faith. Faith changes then, doesn't it? Because we have this faith. It actually grows in us. Faith in Jesus Christ grows because through the trials, through the obstacles, through the difficulties, and sometimes through the defeats, it's food for faith. It's not, it doesn't discourage true faith. It discourages false confidence. But true faith thrives on these things. It feeds upon the hardship, the fellowship of suffering that we have with Christ Jesus. To know Thee, the one true God. To know Him and, to, and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. Being conformed unto his death, is, that's the food of faith. Our faith grows as we learn to, uh, to deal with hardship as our Lord Jesus did and to, and to bear the burden of living in a sinful and fallen and rebellious world that's in, that's in contrary to God. And even our very own flesh, the scripture says the, the, the flesh wars against our spirit and the spirit against our flesh. So we have this conflict going on. And, and there's, there's this trouble there that's within us uh, as we, we make our, our venture. But by faith, we know the power of God and we feed upon uh, hardship, the death of self, that, that that which is manifest in Christ might be manifested within us. For we live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be made manifest in us. Isn't that a wonderful verse? The life of Jesus is manifested in you as you feed upon the, the sufferings in this present world and you know the glory and the power of Christ's resurrection, that life out of death power. The scripture says that it quickens our mortal bodies. It enables us to endure. <clears throat> and so we engage by faith, by God's grace through faith in the salvation that has been wrought in Christ. Faith is dependence upon God, and this God-dependence only begins when self-dependence ends. Okay, so uh, you must know someone to trust them with your life. 
Trials are a gift to make you feel your need of God and draw you away from this place where sorrows are to that place where our Lord God is and glory is. Humble yourself into the mighty hand of God and in due time He will exalt you. It's not the regular message, is it, in, in Christianity? You don't get this in, in, uh, in, in so much of the uh, word of faith and, and other uh, gospel ministries that talk about God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, this, Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they'll, they'll persecute you as well. And there, there will be hardship and a trial uh, as we make our journey through this life. And so we should expect it as God's people and, and feed upon the grace that God supplies to us that eternal life is manifested when we are not conformed to this world but transformed by the renewing of mind, our minds that we may prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Which brings us to verse 31. And uh, justification by faith establishes God's law in the inner man, in, God, in our inner person. So what does this mean? Uh, the scripture says, uh, look at verse 31 here. It says, do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. So the law, wait a second. We, we, we don't approach God there's no way that we can be justified by the law, but Paul is saying we fulfill the law. Uh, it's, it's, uh, we don't nullify it through faith. Actually, faith establishes the law in the inner person. And that's what the Spirit of God does in the believer. We're not controlled by these don't do these things, do these things, don't do these things principles. We're we're controlled by an inner transformed person within us. And that was the promise of the new covenant. And it's exactly what Paul is explaining here. That there was the, there was the Abrahamic covenant, there was the Davidic covenant, there was the, uh, the law of Moses uh, that was given, but there was a promise of a new covenant that would be given. And that new covenant in Christ Jesus would be different. It would be described um, as in Ezekiel 11, uh, 19, and I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them, and I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. So God will give us love, Compassion, the compassion that God had for you when He came and died for our sins and expressed His great love and His great desire to have a relationship with you. I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Uh, don't you desire and, and don't you know that the, the thing that we, that we should want most of all is that completion and fulfillment of what God created us to be, which can only take place through the redemption that has come in Christ Jesus, where we've been justified back to God, and we have a standing with God. We have imputed righteousness, His robes for, for mine. He took my dirty robes, my sin, my failure, my all of that that separated me from uh, his, our holy, loving, heavenly Father in Jesus Christ took upon Himself flesh. God the Son took upon Himself flesh. He became a man. And in that humanity, He bore my sins. And He gave me a cloak, a robe of righteousness. And so we exchanged His robe for mine. Justification by faith establishes God's law in man's inner person. It doesn't nullify the law. Love is the fulfillment of God's law, the Scripture tells us. Um, and so uh, we find in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Do you see this? The law is fulfilled by the love of Jesus Christ. The love that Jesus Christ expressed to you, the compassion, the gentleness, the mercy, the fruit of God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ gave to us, he, he has accomplished the law in the inner person through the new covenant. 
This is the new covenant in my blood, Christ said. Christ said, There's the Holy Spirit has been with you to His apostles, but He will be in you. God transformed our heart. He, he in an inward way, changed us as His people. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. All of these things the Jewish people couldn't keep. The law of Moses. And all of these things Paul is saying is the completion of what God did through Jesus Christ. And it's completed by this new commandment that Christ gave to us. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, the first commandment, and you love your neighbor as yourself. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. If there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. It is the completion. It doesn't nullify the law, but it enables us freely in the Spirit of Christ and the power of Christ to fulfill the law. So goodness, then the Scripture that we memorize, uh, there will be uh, tribulation and distress for the soul of everyone who does evil to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But uh, glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's the principle. It's, it's the, the reality of, of the law of God uh, made real within us by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The law is written in man's heart. So we find this, this truth, this principle, the law is written in man's heart. We find in our passage, Jeremiah 31, verse 33. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put their law within them. I will put my law within them. And on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Both Jews and Greeks uh, became a part of the the body, the bride of Christ. uh, Because God transformed them. Uh, Nicodemus, you must be born again. So those that keep the law to be justified before God were not justified before God. Those moral Gentiles that tried to live a good life uh, were still not justified before God because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the very basis and foundation for living the Christian life for you and for me is the justification that is in Christ Jesus because He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf And He made that substitutionary atonement for you on the cross of Calvary that the righteousness of God might be given to you. The righteousness of Christ has been imputed to your account. And you may not feel it, but God's Word says it's true. So we stand in the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ and give Him glory this morning. I pray that we may know it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, I pray that any of those that have not put their trust in Jesus Christ, Lord, that your spirit would do its work through your word in the hearts and lives of your people. Of all those lost that would come and that would humble themselves before you, almighty God, and hear the word that you have spoken and the gospel that you have given, this wonderful good news that is found in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to you, Heavenly Father, except through the work that Jesus Christ did for them. And what a wonderful free offering that Christ has has given up. And it's there for any who would receive. And it's simply a matter of, of... of those uh, speaking to those of you that might be listening and hearing the gospel and understanding for the first time what is being done here. It's simply a matter of you asking the Lord God for that gift of salvation that Jesus Christ said He has given to you. You can do it with a simple prayer. Simply ask. 
Simply ask the Lord God. He's a person and you can approach Him through Jesus Christ. And you can ask. The Scripture says, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. That was the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, I pray that any that uh, is within my hearing this morning, that they might respond to that gospel message and to that invitation to salvation, any that do not know you. And for those of us that do know you, Lord, may we find our standing in in, uh, the greenhouse of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone, that we might live a supernatural life and prove your good and acceptable and perfect will, and that our light may shine in this world, that men may see our good works and glorify you, our Heavenly Father. We pray and ask these things in the name of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen.